seated tonight. Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs chapter number 30. Let me say I appreciate Brother Timothy filling in for us tonight on the music side of things. Uh, you know, if you've been around ministry very long, you'll find one of the hardest roles to fill when someone has to be out is that of the song leader. I know that as a pastor's kid uh, because when our song leader would have to be out, he would look to me or our song leader would be sick, he would look to me. And uh, I assure you, when our song leader was sick, it got contagious real quick because I got sick uh, because I knew I was going to have to lead the singing. And dad would be out of town preaching somewhere and they wouldn't have a song leader. And my dad would always conveniently volunteer me to lead their singing. And it scared me to death. I didn't always enjoy doing it or I learned to enjoy later life. But uh, I appreciate folks who step up and step in. I know a lot of our people are out tonight in the back uh, preparing for that and looking forward to that. And I appreciate folks who are willing to step up and uh, and not get that uh, song-leading sickness as I used to get. Proverbs chapter 30, if you're there, I want you to look down. Just remain seated tonight. Uh, look down to verse number 7. I'm going to start a, uh, a December series here just for a few Wednesday and Sunday nights. We'll alternate back and forth as our schedule allows. Proverbs chapter number 30, look down, if you would, to verse number 7. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 1, this is the words of Agur. And it says in verse 7, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Now watch what he asks for. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, it has what we need. And I pray that, Lord, we would look forward to what you've sent us tonight in the few minutes we have to receive what you've sent that we do need. Help us, Lord, with the truths of your word tonight. I pray that, Lord, you'd make it as real and uh, magnify it, Lord, in our hearts and minds that we might leave here with truth and it might change us, change the way we live, change the witness that we are. Once again, bless the folks on different parts of the property tonight. Pray your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time of the year, oftentimes I'll walk over to the school, and uh, well, I do that just about every week, but I like to walk over this time of the year, and I'll usually strike up a conversation with our kids uh, and ask them what they're getting for Christmas. And it's always interesting to hear the replies. If you ever want to know what your kid asks for, I can probably tell you. And uh, there's several different groups of young people over there. The first group that you find is the clueless group. My illustration from Sunday is about to jump out of the pulpit, so I'm just going to lay that right there uh, because I'm going to trip myself, and that would be embarrassing. Uh, the first group we have is the clueless group. You ask them, what are you getting for Christmas? Uh, I don't know. You know, they have no idea. Uh, the second group is the doubtful group. You can tell what they want, uh, but they know they may not have lived up to par when it comes to the qualifications for getting such a gift, and so they're a little doubtful whether or not they're going to get the things that they want. Uh, the other group is the spiritual group. you got to love them. Uh, thank God for some spiritual kids we have here at our school. And you'll ask them what, uh, what they want for Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? And they start rattling off world peace, ending child hunger, and that everybody in the world would get saved. And I'm just like, oh, that's not what I'm looking for. You know? No, I appreciate them. Uh, but then you get over to the, uh, the other group who, who are very hopeful. 
You know, they, they know what they want, and they'll start telling you their eyes will light up, and they're excited. Why? Well, I'm hoping I'm going to get that new bicycle, or I'm hoping I'm going to get that new video game system, or, uh, you know, something along that line. And I think all of us are that way just a little bit. We have things that we're looking forward to, we're hoping we're getting. Look, I'm 41 years old. I don't know if you ever grow out of this, and I hope you don't grow out of it, but there's some things that I, I want for Christmas. I'm just being honest with you. And I've kind of dropped hints with my wife. I know we all do that, right? You don't ever grow out of that, do you? You still want some things for Christmas. Well, I still want some things. I do. And I'll drop the hints to my wife, and she's very sharp, okay? She's very sharp. I don't have to drop them very few times, but all of a sudden she'll say, look, I, I get it. I, I know what you want. You know, I'll leave notes around the house or, you know, my goodness gracious, if I only had that kind of gun, I probably could have got that, dear, but all of my other guns just wouldn't cut it. I really needed that gun to get it done, you know, and drop those hints, and after a while, she always gets what I, what I want, and, and and some usually. But I was thinking about that tonight in, in light of tonight's message. I've prepared not only this message, but a few we're going to preach during the month of December. And I was thinking about how often we know the things we want uh, that are on the temporal and on the physical side. We all have things we'd like to get. Uh, we have things we'd like to get from our family, things we would like to get for our children. But how often do we think about things that uh, we hope that our Heavenly Father gives us? What do you think about that tonight? Our Heavenly Father, He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and sure enough, our Heavenly Father can not only know what we need, but He can give us what we need. But how often do we go to our Father and share with our Father things that we would love to have in our life? Now, I'm not talking about Ferraris and shotguns. I'm not talking about air fryers and Roombas. I'm talking about some really important, valuable things that our Father could give us tonight that are on the more of a spiritual nature. And as we begin praying about that and preparing this message, it grew, okay? Here's where series come from. You want to know where message series come from? It's when you're outlining a message and it grows so big that I think you're going to protest if I put it all in one message and you're going to walk out on me, okay? Be marching around the building with the signs, free the hostages, you know? And so you take that one message and you slowly start and you say, good night, there's four or five here. And so that's how the Lord leads us to preach a series. And so we're going to be preaching a series here the next few weeks on some Sundays some Wednesday nights entitled A Christmas List for the Christian Life. A Christmas List for the Christian Life. Now, there's some things tonight that we need in our Christian life. And these are things that not only does our Heavenly Father know that we need, they're things our Heavenly Father can give us and that He wants to give us, but we need to know what they are. Oftentimes, we don't realize there's some needs we have in our life. And God, through this preaching of the, the Word of God and through that Word that's quick and living and powerful, points these things out to us. I'm thankful He preserved that for us. Now, look down, if you will, the words of Agur here in Proverbs chapter number 30. He's asking God for some things. Notice verse 7. Two things have I required of the, here's two things he's asking God for. There's really three in this verse we're going to pull out tonight. But there's two things that he's asking God for, and these are some things that need to be on our list. Now, notice what the first one is. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. But notice the first word of verse number eight. The first word isn't receiving something. The first word is taking away. Verse number eight says, remove far from me vanity. Remove far from me vanity. He says, he goes to his father and he says, Heavenly Father, uh, there's some things that I need in my life. There's some things that I want in my life. And right here on the top of his Christmas list, if you will, tonight, he's asking that God would take something away. Now, you know, oftentimes I think it'd be good for all of us uh, to learn to let go of some things before we ask God for more things. 
uh, years ago, I forget who it was, some parent who's smarter than I was, uh, gave us the idea with our child that uh, before we give gifts at Christmas, that my daughter go through a lot of the things that she already had, uh, which was more than most kids around the world. You know, here in America, our kids are very, very blessed. Even the poorest of us all here tonight are blessed than most people in the world and most kids in the world. I've been to Africa. I passed out the shoe boxes that those kids at the orphanages get for Christmas. The only gift that many of them will get the entire year. Oftentimes, those shoe boxes contain little trinkets and toys that we got from the Dollar Tree, things that most of our kids would probably balk at. Inside those boxes were socks, and inside those boxes were soaps and lotions and, and maybe a bouncy ball, something along that line. And those kids were just so excited to be able to get those simple little trinkets. Now, folks, you think about that tonight. We're very blessed people. God has blessed us abundantly with things. I think it'd be good if we looked inside of our homes, but also inside of our hearts. And see, are there some things that I need to ask God, before I ask God to give me some things, that I ask God to remove some things out of my life. Now, notice what he asked God to remove. He says, remove far from me vanity. Remove far from me vanity. Now, I don't know about you, when I read the word vanity, I picture a guy that looks like the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, you know who he is? Nice, long, flowing hair. I don't covet it. I may be a little jealous, but I don't covet his hair. And He's just got this long, flowing locks. He's already, been, I think, been in a shampoo commercial. That's the kind of guy I picture when you start talking about vanity. A guy standing in front of the mirror, brushing his hair. Man, don't I look good. All right, that's a narrow view of vanity, okay? Uh, having an attitude like that is just a symptom of vanity. When you look it up, the word vanity simply means this, useless or empty. Useless or empty. You ever known any vain people? They're usually useless <laughs> and they're usually empty. I had a girl one time, I told her, I said, Ashley, I said, Ashley, you're clueless. She says, what do you mean? I said, exactly, that's exactly what I mean. So here's Agar, and he says, God, there's, there's some things that I need, some things that I want. He's going before God. He says, God, I'm not asking for the newest camel. I'm not asking for the newest home. I'm not asking for a bunch of property. Here's some things that I need in my life, and I'm asking you to remove vanity. Here's what he's asking for. God, remove things that are vain, things that are useless, and things that are empty in my life. Now, when we see that word vanity tonight, don't forget that definition. Psalms 127.1, we know this verse well, but listen to it in the context. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. What does that mean? Your work is useless, all right? If God is not building the house, it is useless, it is hollow, it is empty, it's vain. It says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It's useless. It's the same way for America, by the way. If God does not keep us, our best efforts are useless. It is empty. It is in vain. So watch closely what he's asking for on this Christmas list for the Christian life. Number one, Agur says, I want you to remove what is useless and empty. Number one, I think tonight at the top of our Christian uh, Christmas list, we should ask God, number one, eliminate what is empty. Ask God to eliminate what is empty? Now, notice what he says in verse 7. Two things have I required. I'm asking God for two things. He says, deny me them not before I die. Now, look, it's obvious tonight. What is he thinking about? He's thinking about the end of his life. I don't know how old this man was. It's hard to find out a lot about this man. 
But we do know that he had his priorities where they needed to be at whatever stage he's at in his life because he's looking toward the end of his life and he says, before I die, I want to make sure, God, would you get rid of anything that's useless and get rid of anything that's empty? Folks, can I tell you tonight, that ought to be at the top of our list tonight, even above an air fryer. Amen? I mean, look, my wife still loves that vacuum I got her last year. I mean, it freaks me out a little bit. I'll be honest with you. She'll be out in town, and I'll be sitting on the couch studying, and, and she calls it the downstairs maid. And the downstairs maid stays parked over in the corner. And all of a sudden, I'll be sitting on the couch. That thing will come alive on its own. She's out in town. She's told it to go clean the living room. And so I'm sitting there, and here comes this little vacuum. There, I'm having to pick up my feet for the, for the downstairs maid that's there. It's a really neat little trick. But you know, as neat as that is, more importantly tonight, what we need as God's children is to make sure at the top of our Christian Christmas list is to make sure that we ask God to help us get rid of anything that's empty and anything that is useless. Now, folks, I know we're busy, all right? You know, we're trying to figure out how to do services in December and people got this stuff going on property. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes we got too much going on around here. Get our eyes off of what we need to be doing. Make sure we're in church. And we're trying to get all that figured out. All that. We're all just, be, well, can't get folks here for this. And can't get folks here for that. And our schedule. We're busy, busy, busy. But can I ask you something tonight? How much of our busyness is things that are useless and empty? How much of our schedule is filled with things that eternally, to be honest, are going to have very little value? Folks, don't get quiet on me, all right? I, I have the same problem as you do. I'll give you an example. The other day, believe it or not, I was taking out the garbage Took out the garbage, put a new bag in. That's like bonus points when you put a new bag in. I came back, I guarantee you it wasn't three hours. And I went to throw something away, and it was full again. And I told my wife, I says, we're the trashiest people I know. I mean, we've got two garbage bags in the, in the span of four hours. I said, what are we throwing away? Now, I wasn't mean about it, okay? I, I'm sounding like it, but I wasn't. I said, what are we throwing away? And so I literally started looking in the garbage. What is in here? No joke. Do you know what was in the middle of it? A gallon empty milk jug. Stick with me. In that bag, taking up all of that space, was a hollow empty jug. Do you know what I did? Brilliant. Brilliant. I pulled the jug out. I collapsed it on the counter. I put the lid back on it, put it back in the bag, and now I had room for other things. Listen to me. I took out what was hollow and what was empty that was taking up useless space. And now I had room for other things. Now listen to me, folks, tonight. If you're not careful, you'll do what I do sometimes. And you'll find yourself excusing away why I can't come to church tonight why I can't come to this activity, why I can't come to choir practice, why I can't come to this, why, because I'm just so busy. My life is so full. I'm not saying our lives are not full, but I am saying oftentimes our lives are full of things that are hollow, useless, and empty. We've got to pull some of those things out and say, you know what, this is taking up a lot of space. You know what, there's nothing wrong with that being in there. It needs to be in there, but that's taking up too much space. And so watch, I'm going to empty out what is taking up that space so something else could go in. You know, oftentimes we'd find ourselves with more time, more opportunity, more room, more finances to do things for the cause of Christ if we just looked at our life and said, you know what? A lot of my life is being taken up, that space in my heart, by things that are hollow and things that are empty. 
Folks, this is truth. I'll be honest with you. Uh, when uh, I told you the day I put some Christmas lights up at our house, kind of excited about that. That's kind of an American dad thing. You need to do at least once in your life, okay? You need to do that. Put it on the bucket list, Christmas lights on the house. I'm thinking about next year lighting up our community, being that guy that people comp- complain about, you know, with the lights and all that. Come out to our house, get a suntan in the middle of winter. I'm thinking about it. We were backing out of the driveway. I was taking Leslie to Louisiana to, to drop her off with her family. And... Uh, Looking at our house, this beautiful home that's there, and we're so thankful for that. And I think, boy, that'd be pretty and all this. And I, and I said this, one day, one day I'm going to decorate it for, for Christmas. One day. Do you know how many times I've said one day? Probably as many as you have. One day. My daughter is 14, and she's never seen our house decorated with lights. That's just wrong. She's got to see it at least once in her life. And so as we were driving to Louisiana, I said, you know what? After I drop them off, coming back by Home Depot. Now watch this. In 14 years, there's always been something. There's always been something. I can't because of this. I can't because of that. Got too much going on here. Too much going on in the church. Too much, too much. There's always going to be something. At some point, you've got to find the things in your life that are hollow and empty and say, you know what? I can afford to collapse that milk jug. That milk jug is taking up too much space in my life. I'm going to collapse that. Why? Because I want to eliminate what is empty in my life. Why? Because there's an end coming to it. Today I sat in a church service where my aunt, my very young aunt, they were always the fun aunt and uncle, you know? Like I told you, I'm the funkle in our family. That's me. I'm the fun uncle. They were the fun aunt and uncle. And I'm thinking, well, she's not old. She was only 62 years old. That's not old anymore. It used to be ancient. As I get closer, it ain't old. And there sat the shell of her body, her spirits with the Lord in heaven. She reached her end. She reached her unexpectedly on Thanksgiving morning. Here's Agur. What does he say? Verse 7. Two things I've required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Could I give you some encouragement tonight? You better put eliminate what is empty at the top of your list before you die. The next thing you know, your life will be consumed by things that are hollow and useless. Who was the person in the Bible who did the great lifelong experiment on vain things? It was Solomon. Matter of fact, turn with me to Ecclesiastes real quick. Just one book over to your right. Aren't you glad I told you where it was? That way you don't have to flip around, look like you don't know where you're going. Turn over about one page to your right. Here's Solomon. You're talking about someone who had a full life, a busy schedule. Watch what Solomon says in verse number one of chapter two. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is, there it is, vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? Go on down real quickly for the sake of time tonight. Verse 4, watch what he did. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water therewith to, to pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me, me servants and maidens and had servants born in thy house. You go on and on. Verse 8, I got silver. You keep on reading. Look all the way down, if you will, to verse number 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was what? Vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. You know, empty things never profit. Empty thing. You know that old phrase that's too good to be true? It probably is. Yeah. I got a text the other day, man. Somebody told me I won $10,000. It didn't even move my emotional meter. 
I've won so many cruises to the Caribbean. I mean, I could give all of you a cruise to the Caribbean tonight. Why? I've won so many of them. They don't ever move the meter. Do you know why? They're hollow. They're not real. They're not going to result in anything. So here's Solomon. Solomon says, I got all of these things, silver, gold, servants. I had property. I had orchards. I had forests. And he says, it's empty. It's all vanity. It was useless. Turn over, if you will, to the end of the book, chapter 12. By the way, chapter 12, you know, is a very good book for young people. It's a good book for old people, too. Ecclesiastes 12, look down to verse 8. Watch what he says. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Here's this experiment of life. He found that all these things that he could get did not fulfill him. And that's what he was looking for. So finally, watch the second to the last verse of chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the end of the experiment. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He says, that's where it was. That's where it was. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. Oh, that's what filled me up. It wasn't the stuff that I had. It wasn't the people that I had. It wasn't the property that I had. It was none of the possessions that I had. He says, it was fearing God and keeping his commandments. Hey, that's what brought fulfillment to his life. But the sad thing is, oftentimes we wait until chapter 12 of our life, don't we? Before we ask God, God, would you eliminate what is empty in my life? The other day I was in Hobby Lobby, I think it was, running a trip for my wife over there to get some ribbon for our tree or I forget what it was, and I saw something hilarious. There, and there, one of their beautiful displays on one of the aisles, there was a, a wooden bowl, and in that wooden bowl was this fake fruit. Have you ever seen it? That wax fruit? All right? What was funny about it was there were teeth marks in the fruit in the bowl. You know, I think some kid probably thought Hobby Lobby is a Christian company, right? And they just put snacks out for people because they're just good godly people. So here's a fruit tray uh, in the middle of the picture frames in Hobby Lobby. And he picks up that apple and he bites into it and he finds out it was plastic. It was not real. It was hollow. It was just full of air. And I thought about that today. How often is that the way the devil does? We're living the life, going through life, and all of a sudden we see something attractive to us, and we spend time taking that, and we bite into it, only to find it's a hollow fruit. It's not real. Evidently, that apple didn't satisfy. Remember, it was only bite marks. There was no bite. I've yet to see any styrofoam apple cores around Hobby Lobby. Evidently, they quit eating. Thank God there's a few smart people left in America. You see, they bit into it and realized, you know, there's nothing to it. Isn't that what Eve did? Eve saw that fruit. Man, that looks good. She bit into it. Look, hypothetically, she bit into a hollow apple. She waited till it was too late to eliminate the empty things. Number one, the top of our Christmas list for the Christian life, Agur says here, he says, remove far from me vanity. He says, would you take that away? Take away that vanity. Let's keep reading. Proverbs chapter number 30 Verse number eight, remove far from me vanity. What does it go on to say? And lies. Remove far from me vanity and lies. So number one, we're asking God, eliminate what is empty. God, I don't want any hollow things in my life. Eliminate that. The useless things, let's eliminate that. Let's make room for the things that matter. But then he says lies. 
He says lies. Now, honestly, I, I thought about, I said, well, those are kind of the same thing, right? Vanity and lies. But the more you study it out, the more you realize it's the same thought but a different perspective. Now, obviously, if you have a lying problem, could I just tell you tonight, if you have a lying problem, you do need to put that on your list, okay? God, help me to tell the truth. Some of you deer hunters, some of you fishermen, you need to put that on the list tonight because I've seen your pictures, okay? I saw a lady the other day. If you're a deer hunter, you know how this works, right? Brother Mickey, you know how this works, right? Uh, these folks kill this deer, you know, and they take a picture sitting seven feet behind them. And they're like, whoa, that thing is huge. Yeah, they're sitting so far back, it makes the deer look huge. It's really just a little old four-point, okay? We've learned how to lie. We've learned how to manipulate the truth. But here's Agar saying, you know what? I'm thinking about the end. At the end of my life, number one, I don't want anything that's empty or hollow there. I want to be real. I want to have fulfillment. But the word lies here is a very, very deep word, all right? It doesn't just mean an untruth. When you look it up, and it says, remove far from me vanity and lies, an interesting definition, you look it up, it means all the words. Remove from me all the words. Now stick with me. Boy, this is a good one. Here's what he's saying. Have you ever known anyone who was all talk? All talk? That's like us husbands on the garbage. We're all talk, you know? We got great plans. We're all talk. Here's what Agur's saying. Remove from me the words without works. This is what he's saying. I don't want to be just all talk. I don't want to be just all uh, words. I want to be some substance and have some word works to back up my words. This is number two. The second thing on our Christmas list for the Christian life, he's asking God, take away the untrue. Take away the untrue. Now stick with me on this tonight, and I think you'll see exactly what he's saying. There's a very sad but true tactic in the world today that if you'll say something enough, if you repeat it enough times, after a while, people begin to accept it as truth, right? Even if it's not true, you repeat it enough. Perfect example is the term, the separation of church and state. We know that one very well. That's in the Constitution, right? No. It's in the Declaration of Independence, right? No, it's not in there. It's a letter in a letter to the Danbury Baptist. Listen, it was not about keeping the church out of the state is about keeping the state out of the church. But we repeat that enough, and after a while, people say, well, you know, separation of church and state, there shouldn't be a Bible in public schools. And we've heard the lie repeated so many times, we believe it. Now, we agree with that tonight, but I want you to hear me out. If you're not careful, you will inadvertently tonight adopt that same mindset in your own lifestyle. You say, what do you mean? After a while, you'll lie to yourself and you'll tell yourself you're this. You'll tell yourself you're that. And after a while, you'll believe it, but there's no works to back up your words. Here's what Agur's saying. Remove far from me vanity and lies. He says, listen, I want you to take away all the words. Take away all the words. Could I ask you something tonight? Boy, this is a scary thought that crossed my heart today when I was preparing this message. What if God was to take away all the words in my life that did not have works to back them up, what would be left? It terrified me. It terrified me. What if God tonight were to come in and take away all the words? I'm gonna strip away all the words. We know what you profess and what you say and what people think about you. I'm gonna take away all the words that don't have any works to back them up. What would be left? Sitting on my couch this afternoon, I felt vulnerable. 
I felt so small. Because so often, my words outclass my works. Do you know after a while, when your words overshadow your works and that's your lifestyle, do you know what that is? You're living a lie. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. He says, take away the words. Take away the words. When I looked it up, and I looked it up in a, in a Webster's 1828 dictionary that you use, boy, get some good definitions out of that. And I saw in quotation marks, all these words. How often does that describe our life? Now, they may be good words and eloquent words and believable words, but behind those words, there's no works to back them up. And here's Agar. Agar says, I don't want to get to the end of my life and just have words. He says, take away the words if it doesn't have the works to back it up. He says, I don't want to live a lie. Can I tell you tonight, if there was ever a time God's people needed to be real, it's now. Let's just get real and let's just be real. I've told you before, I'm not exactly sure where the term came from. My dad... He's out of town tonight, down at my mom's family, visiting with some folks that are sick down there. My dad would always say, son, don't be a flim-flam man. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew it wasn't good, <laughs> just by the way that he said it. When dad's vein would poke out on his head when he would talk to you, and his pupils would dilate, it usually meant what he was saying was serious. Son, don't be a flim-flam man. One day I finally asked him, okay, dad, what is a flim-flam man? I don't want to be it. I don't want to be it. I just need to know what it is so that I'm not becoming that. He said, it's somebody who's not real. Be real. Now, folks, tonight, look, it does no good for us to fool each other because none of us count in the whole scheme of eternity. You're not going to stand before me. I'm not going to stand before you. Does it hurt when people think things about us that are not true? Yeah, it hurts a little bit, but it's not going to matter in eternity. What's going to matter is like Agar says at the end of my life that all the lies have been removed, all the words have been removed, and all that's there is my works because, by the way, that's what we're going to give an account for. Man, I wish we were going to give an account for our words. You know, say, boy, God, let me tell you what I talked about. Oh, let me tell you what I told him, God. <laughs> let me tell you how I told him. Not going to be, matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 3.13, what does the Bible say? Speaking to the judgment seat of Christ, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Now listen closely, because it shall be revealed by fire. Do you know what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ? He's going to take away all these words. And all that's left is our works. Because in the end, all that's real is our works. It's not our words. Folks, there's nothing wrong with having ambition. This is what I'm going to work toward. This is what I'm going to try to be. In just a few weeks, a lot of us will sit down with pen and paper, and we're going to write New Year's resolutions. Hey, that's okay, and that's fine. But in the end, he's not going to judge your resolutions. He's going to judge our works. So here's Agar says, at the top of my list, I want you to eliminate anything that's empty. I don't want anything in my life hollow, taking up space in my life that, that other things, that godly things, eternal things could go. Number two, he says, take away anything that's untrue. Remove far from me vanity. Remove far from me lies. Today at the funeral, I sat there and watched uh, my Aunt Becky's um, brother, Gene Douglas, preach her funeral. And I sat there and looked at it beautiful as an Amish-made wooden casket. Boy, it was just beautiful. 
And I sat there and I listened to her brother preach her funeral. Number one, the grace of God was evident uh, of her brother to preach his sister's funeral. And as I sat there listening to all the things he said about Aunt Becky, she was a pastor's wife so many years, medical missionary with my grandparents down in Mexico, uh, worked at orphanages, youth camps, and had already purchased 150 toys for underprivileged children. Had already purchased this year. There's some kids this year that are going to get a present from a lady who's already in heaven. As they sat there and talked about her life, I said, you know what? What he's saying is true. Those are her works. Those aren't just words. And I'm thinking to myself, a little envious of my aunt, of how she lived it. It wasn't just her words. You know what? I want to buy some toys for these underprivileged children. I want to go to Mexico and help those kids down there and, and get them the medicines they need. You know, I'm going to be a pastor. No, these were her works. Folks, in the end, we're going to be like anger. He's looking at the end and he says, two things I've required. I'm asking you, God, deny me them not before I die. He says, remove far from me vanity. Get rid of the hollow and the empty. Number two, he says, take away things that are not true. James 2.15, the Bible reminds us of a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food. Listen to this. And one of you say unto them, depart, be warm, be fed. We see someone who's hungry. We see someone who's cold. And we say, you know what? Hey, you be warm, be fed. The Bible says, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? What doth it profit? That's like folks come to the office. Hey, I need some help with something in my life, my home, my children, my marriage. I need something with my job. And I say, look, hey, hope that turns out well for you. Now, I'm going to pray for you. But man, sooner or later, we got to step up and say, you know what? How can I help you? Why? Because in the end, it's not what we told them. It's what we did. That's why the Bible says, and so one of you say unto them. Proverbs 14, 23, boy, this verse is a child was etched in on my heart. In all labor there's profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Where penury means poverty. It says there's profit in work. There's profit in work, but there's poverty in words. There's poverty in words. Folks, tonight we're looking toward Christmas and celebrating Christmas, and there's some things our Father would like to give us. Number one, he'd like to give us fulfillment. Take away those hollow, empty things and fill us with something real. But the second thing he'd like to give us tonight, he'd like to help us become real. And our Father can help us become true. But sometimes, listen, we need to get shook a little bit to realize our words have outpaced our works. And right now in our country, we're seeing, I think, uh, the highest inflation rate in 30 years. Now, you think about that word, Inflation. You know one of the reasons inflation happens? It's when you input more cash into an economy than that economy can output, right? You're inputting more than you're outputting. That's what inflation is. Sometimes if you're not careful, you'll get an inflated view of yourself where your input outweighs your output. I think we're having a season of spiritual inflation right now. To where we think, you know what? I'll tell you something I did several years ago uh, before we moved here. Uh, we gave out some journals at the beginning of the year for all of our people, and I had something printed for our people in the, in the front of their journal. Uh, and they would, they would keep it with their Bible, take notes and whatnot. And in it was a, a little grid, and in that grid was one box for every church service of the year. One box for every church service of the year. I said, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I said, every time you come to church, I want you to black in that box. Every time you miss, leave it blank. 
Every time you come up, block it in. Every time you don't come, leave it blank. I said, at the end of the year, I want you to see how faithful we were. And when you see all of those little white squares, look at it. You know what? Somebody asks you, hey, are you faithful to your church? You say, absolutely, I'm faithful to my church. And then finally, when you see it looking back at you, you're thinking, maybe I'm not as faithful as I think I am. Why? Because oftentimes we have an inflated view of ourselves. We have more input on who we are than output on what we do. And tonight, maybe we need to ask God, God, would you take away things that are untrue in our life? 1 Corinthians 3, 13, the Bible says, our works are going to be revealed by fire. Listen close. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Amazing how many times it mentioned the word work. Work. Folks, could it be tonight that we're not as faithful as we think we are? By the way, faithfulness is not just coming to church. By the way, I think, I'm thankful you're here tonight. I'm thankful you're here. You'd be amazed at how many times the devil beats the preacher over a head with an empty chair. You'd be amazed. Go home, boy, saw a lot of empty chairs today. The devil beats me over the head with that. You'd be amazed how often he does that. I'm thankful you're here tonight, but being faithful is more than just being here. Being faithful is being faithful to the word of God to live it out in our life. To, in, to instill that in our, our, the hearts of our children, to lead our homes by the will and by the word of God. That's being faithful to that. And tonight, if we could see it the way God sees it, I assure you, we have an inflated view of ourselves that's far beyond what we really are because we've gotten to the place where we believe our words more than our works. So number two, let's ask God tonight, put on the top of our list, let's take away what is untrue. And then finally, what does he say? Remove far from me vanity and lies. He says, God, I I want you to eliminate what is empty. Number two, take away what is untrue. And finally, he says, I love this verse. Boy, you ought to read this one often to your children. He says, feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. Now, here's what's interesting. When you read this passage, it took three different things before he finally asked God for something. He says, Lord, would you remove vanity, remove anything that's hollow and empty? I don't want to get to the end of my life and have a life full of things that have taken up space where, where you should be. So God, remove the hollow and the empty. And then God, would you help me out on this thing of lies, take away anything untrue? But here's what I'd like to ask from you. He says, feed me with food convenient for me. The word convenient means appointed, appointed. He says, God, I want you to give me what you think that I need, not what I want. And here's what he's asking for. Number three, he's asking God to cultivate a heart that's content. He's asking God, cultivate a heart that's content. At the top of your Christian Christmas list tonight, you shouldn't be asking your father for that air fryer and that vacuum. I mean, they should be down there maybe number 23, number 24. But man, at the top of the list, let's ask God to remove what's hollow and empty. Let's ask God to take away what is untrue. But let's put there on number three, let's ask God, God, would you help me to be content? Help me to be content. He says, feed me with food convenient or necessary or appointed to me. Do you know, it takes a close walk with God to be willing to ask him for what you need rather than for what you want. That's not going to happen overnight. I say, God, I want what you want for me. And I want what you know that I need. And God, sometimes that may not be what I want. That may not be what I like. But God, I trust you so much that you're all-powerful. 
that you know everything that I need, that God, I submit myself to you, God. Help me to be content with what you want for me in my life. Oh, can I tell you something tonight? You ought to put that at the top of your list. God, help me be content. What did the Apostle Paul say in verse, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content every time I read verse 11. I think about the, the Apostle Paul whose brain was bigger than Alex Trebek's. He knew so much about so many things, so many languages. He had been educated in every school of thought. The Apostle Paul knew it, and yet here he is saying, I had to learn how to be content. It's not going to happen overnight, folks, but let me tell you why contentment is so important. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness. What does that mean? Christians shouldn't be the people running around all the time. I need that. I want that. I got to have that. We shouldn't be that. Why? Because our Heavenly Father knoweth what we have need of, right? What does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 6. The Heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Take no thought for them. We as children of God look to our Father for the things we need. My daughter doesn't come in and say, oh, I'm sure worried about what we're going to eat today. But you know Dad's going to take care of that. Worst case scenario, we'll break out a can of Spam. I'm going to take care of her, okay? One day we'll get her to the place where she likes that stuff. Oh, she don't worry about that. She don't come in, oh, my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to wear. Well, scratch that. She does say that. But it's not because she don't have clothes. It's because she has too many clothes. You know, that's just a thing you women teach the daughters early on. You've got to learn to say the phrase, I don't know what I'm going to wear. You cannot fit another, uh, another hanger in there, and yet you don't know what you're going to wear, okay? My daughter doesn't worry about having clothes. My daughter doesn't wake up in the morning and pace the floor. I wonder how I'm going to get to school today. I wonder who's going to take me. I wonder who's going to buy my groceries. I wonder who's going to... She knows who. It's going to be daddy. She knows that dad has a, a, a Disney visa in his back wallet that helps pay for her vacations. And I'll near about swipe it for anything that she needs that her mama don't see me doing. She knows I'm going to take care of it. Why? She just assumes because I'm her father that she can trust me to take care of her. Now, folks, you have a father if you're saved. And he's a, he's a good father. He's a heavenly father. And he knows how to give us exactly what we need. There's no need for me to scramble and worry and to fear. Why? Your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. So that's why Hebrews 13, the Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he saith, watch this, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you hear the reminder at the end of that verse? I told you I would never leave you or forsake you. You see, when a Christian gets covetous of things, man, I need that and I want that and man, I don't have that. That's why we gotta be careful about griping, all right? We all gripe sometimes. I'm working on not being a griper too, all right? I've only hired at one person this week out on the highway and they really deserved it, okay? I had to get to a funeral, but that's another story. I don't wanna be a griper. I don't want to whine and complain about what I don't have. I don't wanna complain about, you know what, man, I only had steak once this week. Hey, thank God for the spam. You read about folks there in Hebrews chapter 11, I think they had a little bit harder than we did. And yet they were what? Faithful. Why? They learned to be content. They learned to be content. The Bible says he promises, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Our heavenly Father is going to make sure we have what we need, but we have to choose, as Paul said in Philippians 4.11, we have to choose to be content. 
You know, there's some things in here on property that I don't know how to do. Some text, there's a lot of things I don't know how to do, okay? There's some things on property I don't know how to do, not because I can't do them, but because I have not taken the time to learn them. I couldn't tell you how to turn that thing on. I'm just being honest with you. I'm sure there's a remote for it somewhere back, right there, right? Yeah, those guys got it. I couldn't tell you how to work that computer. I couldn't tell you how to get those pictures up there. I just called Brother Bo. Brother Bo, could you make me a slide today? Something looks like a Christmas list. Yeah, and then poof, there it is. I can't do that. If that's me, we've got a poster board from Dollar General with some Sharpie letters on it that says point number one, point number two. I can have Brother Timothy walk across stage, point number one. Here it is, point number two. Look, it's not because I can't learn. I just don't want to. You know, you look at all those little tech stuff and they're talking about coding and their letters and I'm like, no, thank you. I've got a steno pad and a nice pen that works just fine for me. I don't want to learn. No, no. God's like, did you see this? All the RAM and all. I'm like, look, the only RAM I want is the one with horns on it on my wall. That's it. I don't care anything about RAMs and, you know, definitions and 4K. I don't know. Look, I only know 1K. The alphabet I had only had 1K. They're talking about 4Ks. Now, I, I don't want to know anything about all that stuff, to be honest with you. Watch this. It's not that I can't learn. I don't want to. I don't want to. Can I tell you tonight, contentment is a learned character trait. You got to want it. You got to, I just don't know how to do that. And no, that's just who I am. It's who you are because that's who you choose to be. Because if Paul could learn how to be content, then you and I should learn how to be content. Why? Because what a witness it is of our heavenly father. He takes care of his kids. He takes care of his kids. And when we gripe and we complain and we whine, oh, what a poor reflection it is. Imagine if my daughter walked into the school. I'm so hungry. Man, I don't have anything to eat. Number one, child services will be at my door tomorrow morning. What kind of a deadbeat dad are you? My daughter's shoes have holes in them, you know, and all this. And man, what, what kind of a dad are you? Now, what do you think it does for our father tonight? I expect the world to be covetous, to want bigger, better, shinier, more. That's the lost world. But I can be content because my father knows what I need. And my father promised he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. Contentment is a reflection upon our God. So tonight, I, I believe we need to set aside the Christmas list for our spouse and for our children and our family. And I think we need to have a Christian life Christmas list to where we start going to our father and say, Father, this is what I want for Christmas. Father, would you eliminate anything that's empty in my life? Would you show me? Oh, you better, listen, you better be ready because he knows where the milk jugs are in the middle of the garbage can. He said, there's your milk jug. It's taking up a lot of space. It's hollow. It's empty. And the reason you can't fit anything else in your life is because of all those hollow spaces. Say, okay, God, before I reach the end of my life, I want you to take away anything that's empty. And then, God, would you remove anything untrue? God, would you remove all the words? Take away all the words. God, take it away and show me the works that are there. I know my words make it look grandiose, but when it comes down to the works, what is really there, God? I want you to take away anything that's untrue. And then, God, would you help me with contentment? God, I'm putting this on my Christmas list tonight. God, I want you to help me. I want to be content. Why? Because I want to show the world just how good you are. And you take care of your children. Unlike the lost world that's out there who can't be content because they're chasing things that can't profit or deliver. They're hollow. I want to show them. There's one like the woman at the well found in John 4. What did he say? He says, 
this living water, you'll never thirst again. I'll give you something that'll fill you up. The lost world looks at you and you don't have what they have. They have more than you have. And they say, hey, why are you happy? I have more and bigger and better than you. Why do, you ha- why do you have joy? Well, it's because my heavenly father gave me something that filled the void that nothing in this world could. Heads are bowed tonight.